Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks, and I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba Reba! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. Joining us today on Moving Radio is not one of the filmmakers that has something to do with Northwest Fear Fest, but it is somebody who has intimate knowledge and is a passionate fan of one of the films that will be featured as part of Northwest Fear Fest. Our guest today is Jeff Hayes, the author of the impending book and a book you'll actually be able to get at the screening of said film at Northwest Fear Fest. The book in question is Sleepaway Camp, Making the Movie, and Reigniting the Campfire. And of course, the film we're going to be talking about is Sleepaway Camp, which you can catch at Northwest Fear Fest on Friday, October 20th at 11 p.m. What a perfect October Friday night, 11 o'clock screening to have. Uh, This is the 40th anniversary of the 1983 film, and you can catch it at the Metro Cinema as you can with all of the screenings. Go to metrocinema.org or uh, northwestfest.ca or just go to the, the place and get the tickets there. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, I appreciate you talking to us here because, uh, you know, it's I love talking to filmmakers, but also at the same time, I think it's just as fascinating to talk to people like yourself uh, who have lived with something for decades and really followed it passionately just because you love it. So I think that, you know, as a resource, that's just as important as anything else, because sometimes we're a little bit more obsessive than even the filmmaker ever was in the first place. So let's talk about, you know, you and your connection to the film in a bit. But for those of us that don't know what Sleepaway Camp is, uh, they hear the word camp, they hear 1980s, and they're thinking of somebody in a hockey mask. But this is very different, friends, very different. Let's let the people know what this film is about. It's basically a summer camp slasher movie, but um, it's it's different in the in the way that back in the 80s, when they made summer camp slasher movies, the actors in these movies were always um, 20 somethings playing teenagers in Sleepaway Camp, which was actually filmed in 1982. Um, you're dealing with actual kids playing kids in an R-rated movie, which is something you just didn't see. You have like, you know, the basic murders at camp happening, but there's also all this subtext going on because of the story behind the killer and who the killer is. It's just, it's a fun, unique slasher movie uh, that I think still to this day has a, a wallop of an ending that anybody can enjoy and, you know, have a blast with. Well, the film that Robert Hills had crafted, I think, uh, 
it's kind of transcended, I think, what it ever was intended to, you know, on a oh, lot definitely. of different levels. So what do you think it is about this film uh, that begat an entire franchise and even reboot there has given the kind of legacy that other films that were made at this time that had very innocent hopes of being seen, that it made it transcend to that level that, that other films dream of to have fandom? One of the things is, the fact that, you know, it's known as a slasher movie, but it really has this like super subtext behind it. All this stuff is happening. You know, there's a killer out there and you don't exactly know why. But when you find out, you learn that it it involves all this crazy stuff with abuse and, and of children, you know, things that you, you just didn't see back in that time period. So it really makes it it stands out from from the others really the fact that it was kids playing kids and and you know they were these crazy violent murders it it was very speculative it it, it leaves a lot of questions to be answered and that is what makes it keep going through people's minds and you know as long as they're thinking about it over and over again it it, it never ends so what was your first experience with the film i'm going to assume there was a vcr involved Absolutely, there was. <laughs> yeah, it was 1987. Uh, I was 11 years old, and it was on uh, late one night. It was on HBO. I set the timer because it was like, you know, two or three in the morning. The next day, I, I watched the movie, which I had never heard of. I was just blown away. I saw that ending, and I was like, oh, my God, what happens next? I have to know what happens next. <laughs> that really started kind of like my fascination with the movie, and and wanting to learn more about it and because it it was very mysterious you know people didn't know much about it it wasn't you didn't read about it in a, a lot of magazines or anything like that it was just kind of this movie that came out of nowhere boom it it, it hit <laughs> we're speaking today on moving radio with jeff hayes the author of sleepaway camp making the movie and reigniting the campfire the reason why we're talking to him is not just about the book itself but it's about the film sleepaway camp which is enjoying its 40th anniversary this year and of course it is part of northwest fear fest because there's a screening of it on friday october 20th at 11 p.m as they present the 40th anniversary screening at the metro cinema as part of northwest fear fest when you first see it at you said you were 11 that's right i think that it part of it is that you look at it through the lens of maybe it being that horror film right but is the endearing quality of it maybe part of what's in the title the word camp i guess if you're you're also kind of probably referring and to now that you're getting what i'm talking <laughs> about yeah yeah the fact that it's a campy movie yeah it is but i don't know how much of that was actually intentional and how much of it just kind of translated while the movie was being made. Well, don't you feel like, I think anybody that's trying to intentionally achieve something like that, it's really difficult, you know, to, to be that without being honest. I think when it's truly done correctly, I think everybody has the right intention because there are so many times where I'll see it. And if we talk about this idea of, of like being ironic, maybe about what the intention is or in trying to elicit that kind of performance from actors, I don't know that you could do that with all these kids who are the centerpiece of it. It's not like they're all theatrically trained to be like, OK, we get all the layers of what you're trying to achieve here. Right. So I think that's maybe at least for me in looking from the outside of looking at audiences that gravitate towards to it. There's that level of honesty and 
in it in that when you grow older, you're like, oh, I'm not identifying this as an 11 year old anymore. I'm kind of seeing <laughs> how like entertaining this is on several different levels that I didn't get when you were 11, right? Oh yeah, I still enjoy the movie to this day, but it's different. It's it's so different when you see it as a kid versus seeing it as an adult. You know, when you're a kid, everything feels like just so totally relatable. You know, oh my God, this really could have happened. Ricky is like my next door neighbor that I hang out with all the time. You know, it has that relatability to it that um, for kids, I mean, and for a horror movie, you don't get better than that. You talked a little bit about some of the characters. I mean, obviously, we talk about, you know, Felissa Rose is somebody that's out there a lot. Uh, it's portraying the character of Angela and all these other ki kids at the camps. I felt like because I found actually a film like Meatballs before I found something like this. And that's yeah. when I definitely I felt like like what you're saying is that I, I connected with some of those kids because either they were my friends or I felt like that is that's me in some ways. Right. How do you. Yep. We carry that forward as now, like I'm 51. I don't know about you. And you're you're at this point, you don't have to reveal your age, by the way, Jeff. It's really up to you. <laughs> so I look at that as I'm like, how do we carry those things forward? Because I have so many things like that that I'm I'm looking through a different lens where maybe I don't appreciate it as much. And then there'll be other things like, let's say, for example, Evil Dead 2, which I'm pretty sure I'm gonna watch till the day that I die, that I still hold in my heart as being something uh significant, something impactful. Uh, uh, and also something highly entertaining. So when you look at this and you start to say like, okay, I'm going to start to live with this film and the franchise through decades. Talk to us about that relationship for you, because I think that's what it becomes. For me, it's, I think, you know, the fact that, you know, me and a guy from Australia started a website for the movie in the late 90s. We got connected to the movie in a way that, you know, a lot of people aren't connected to it. And that, you know, we were talking to the people that were involved and it became more of just uh, a movie. It was like this, oh, I don't even really know how to explain it. It was just like, it was this whole connection thing that took place. All of a sudden I'm talking to Jonathan Tierson who played Ricky. And then he gave me some information, which I, I used to locate Felissa Rose. And um, it, it's just, you know, you, you start making connections and friendships and, and and then all of a sudden, it's more than just this movie that you see because you you know these people now. You learn that everybody is really not their character. You know they they're their own people with their own lives, and yet you you know you can't help but to always think of them as the character when you talk to them because you you know if you've seen the movie thirty or forty times that that that's just what happens. So <laughs> yeah, the, this whole connection that that happened because of you know, the website and everything else, it, it makes it, you know, something extra to me that transcends just the movie. Well, I mean, that's a natural place for us to start talking about this, uh, the the seeds of what the book was, right? Um, in 1998, you create sleepawaycampmovies.com. Uh, you and you mentioned John Clyza as well doing that. Tell us about the startup of this and and how, you know, you kind of alluded to it, but tell us in even more detail as to how it directly connected you to the series and, and helped you kind of grow in your appreciation of not just the first film, but the franchise as a whole. So this is the time when the internet is really just kind of starting to pop up in people's homes and people are starting to learn that, you know, you can find message boards and things where you can communicate with people who have some of the same interests as you. So both John and I were out there kind of on the horror movie message boards looking for, uh, you know, conversations with fans about the movies that we 
you know, enjoyed. Turns out that both he and I were huge Sleepaway Camp fans, and we were on a Friday the 13th website. I had written about Sleepaway Camp on one of the uh, the threads, and he had written about it on one of the threads. So naturally, the two of us ended up, started chatting, found out that we were both equally huge fans of all of the great things that are in Sleepaway Camp. And we both kind of felt that um, it really wasn't getting the appreciation that it, it needed or the appreciation that it deserved because there were, you know, there was Friday the 13th, there's Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, and they had this massive fandom all over the place. There was already websites and things for that stuff. But Sleepaway Camp was just kind of this quiet little movie that, you know, it was still kind of like out there. People had seen it, but, you know, it wasn't at the forefront of anything where people could learn more about it. So John and I decided, hey, you know, let's let's make our own website for Sleepaway Camp. And what better way to to have a place for all the fans to be able to go to and to, you know, enjoy the movie and talk about it with other fans. So, you know, we had big plans. We we wanted to go beyond just like putting up reviews and photos. You know, I was like, I, I definitely want to see if I can find anybody who was involved in the movie. Because um, at the time, which was, it was crazy, but anything that you could find online about the people that were involved, it was all these crazy rumors. And it was things like, you know, there was one site that said Robert Hiltzik, uh, he had died of AIDS and he was... Um, he was a drag queen in the late 80s. But the problem is, you know, if you can't find anything else on Robert Hiltzik, you know, you don't know whether that's true or not. Um, and that was the same with some of the cast members that said, you know, Felissa Rose was Israeli and she lived in Israel with all her kids and, and um, practiced religion and totally had nothing to do with the movie world anymore. So these rumors fueled my, you know, wanting to find out where are these people? What are they doing? So I started researching and it, it took it took some time. It took months before I actually made my first discovery, which was finding Jonathan Tiersten because he was in a band and I found his band's website. I call this a twist of fate because it just it's it's kind of crazy and amazing at the same time. It turns out his band was going to be doing a show in Massachusetts, which is where I live. He was out in Colorado and it was only a couple weeks away, got in touch with the band. And I said, hey, I want to come out there, meet Jonathan and do an interview with him for the website. So they helped set that up. And so went out there, met him. And, you know, it, it was the first time actually learning things about the movie um, from somebody who worked on it. You know what it was like to be there on set and all these things that had happened. So, you know, we, we put that on the website and, you know, the website blew up. People were like, oh. You know, these guys are serious. They're starting to, you know, track down people that were involved in the movie. And, you know, what's going to happen next? And what happened next was that um, Jonathan had given me a little bit of information about what he thought Felissa Rose's real last name was. So I kind of reformulated my search for her. And uh, at this time, again, we're, we're talking a time where you, not many people have email. So I had to send letters through the regular postal service to try to find these people. And so I was sending letters out to people with Felissa's last name. I got lucky one day I got home and I got a phone call and it's like, this is Felissa. And I'm like, is this our Angela? And she was like, yeah, it is, you know? And it was like, oh my God, here we go. Like, here's the next step, uh, the next piece of the puzzle. And everything just kept rolling from there. It would be 
you know, finding one person, then finding another, finding out more information. And then I started setting up reunions and screenings and, you know, all of this stuff just got really big and sleepaway camp, you know, finally started coming back in, in a big way where people would look at it like something like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, which at the beginning, it, it wasn't like that. Now it's out there like crazy. It's a, it's a, it's a fan favorite. Everybody's talking about it. You know, what, what more could we have asked for? <laughs> Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, I, th I think it's almost like, you know, doing the website and clearly extensive amount of interviews and research that you've done throughout uh, the years has kind of led you, obviously, to the book, Sleepaway Camp, making the movie and reigniting the campfire, which, just so you know, people, depending on when you listen to this, you could pre-order. But uh, at the end of October, it's going to be available. So wherever you go on any of your fine shopping websites, you can check it out and uh, order it. But if you're at the screening, I believe there'll be some copies there as well to be able to pick up. Is this book the culmination of the decades of the dedication of the series, obviously? But how does it serve longtime fans like yourself? And, and also even balance that fine line of maybe the people who are just like on the outside of that and weren't that deeply connected. Like, how is that still um, this book, something that is inviting to the hardcore fans and the people who are just like just starting to get into it? Yeah, I think that it reaches out to all to everybody because, you know, we go back to the beginning. We talk about the impetus of this movie. You know, I, I talked to Robert Hiltzik and I talked to his wife, Michelle, who was uh, the producer of the movie at the time. And basically it was like, that was the beginning of where I wanted to start the book was, where did the movie come from? Uh, you know, Robert, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you got the idea to do this and how it rolled on from there. And and that's what we did. And and then I started, I started tracking down people that worked on the movie that nobody had ever heard from before. A lot of people don't realize how important sometimes the people behind the scenes are to a movie because, you know, they see the actors and the actors faces. Um, but, you know, they don't see these guys who are sweating it out, putting together some of these special effects and, and, and doing all the stuff like that. We tell the story from the beginning. So you learn uh, where the movie came from, how it was made. You learn, you know, what happened right when the movie first came out. And so anybody who's a, a fan of the movie is going to get to go on that journey and and they're going to learn things that they haven't learned before about the making of the movie from people who haven't been out there talking about it yet. You know, we're talking about people like Ed Fountain, who he worked on Creepshow and some other Romero movies. He created all the mechanical effects, including the rig that Mel wore on his neck that was how they pulled off the arrow effects, which everybody asks about. And they wonder how it was actually done well now you know through the words of ed and some of the other people who worked on that you're going to actually get to learn exactly how that was done and these are things that the hardcore fans have wanted to know for years and so they're going to get their answers and then the people who maybe don't know the movie so well you know they're going to get to learn what this movie was and how it was made and does this sound like something that i would be interested in so yeah i think it reaches out to, to 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 horror fans on all sides and then the second half of the movie we go through basically my journey of, you know starting with the website and then tracking people down and setting up conventions and dvd commentaries and 
reunions and just just all this stuff that happened after that you get to go on that ride and and become a part of the behind the scenes of the whole thing so it, it's just fun it's it's a good time that'll give you information about the movie how it was made and everything that happened oh. since then. We're speaking on Moving Radio today with Jeff Hayes, author of Sleepaway Camp, Making the Movie, and Reigniting the Campfire. Uh, of course, it is about the film and the franchise to the original 1983 film, Sleepaway Camp. You can catch the original at Northwest Fear Fest on Friday, October 20th at 11 p.m. as they present the 40th anniversary screening of it at the Metro Cinema. So get those tickets at metrocinema.org or at northwestfest.ca uh, or at the door. And you know what? Bring a little extra cash because you might be able to pick up your own copy of Jeff Hayes' book as well at that screening early too you get to get it early that's a big deal that's a big deal right Especially that's right hardcores and i know they're here uh because you know i met felissa a few years ago when she was here for uh death by con here in edmonton and she was she's fantastic she's really a, a very sweet person incredibly articulate and uh connects with fans so well one of the things I want to talk about with regards to her and obviously the character Angela that she plays, uh, we've alluded to it a little bit, but I don't know. At this point, 40 years later, I don't know that we're really spoiling anything, right? Is that there has been like the big reveal is that Angela is it's a gender basically reveal at that point in time. And there's been some criticism of the film itself of being uh, potentially transphobic, depending on how you see it and who you are, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's something that I'm not asking you to defend the film about, but it is something that Felissa has come out, especially in the last few years when she's become much more public in her connection to the film and talking about her portrayal of Angela and that character itself and in dealing with those things. And I think she's been uh, good to address it. I think it's hard for her as somebody who is born a woman to really be able to understand what that experience is like, though, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe let's just talk a little bit about you know, that that bit of controversy, whether or not you decide to address it in your book and just the idea of how do you hope that people look at this film in the same way that maybe you did as an 11 year old and the same maybe the same way you do now, when for maybe a young person today, they might have difficulty understanding that context of 1982-83 when they are a 17-year-old kid in 2023 and see this as maybe being very different in its intent than, than hopefully it was in the beginning, right? Because I just don't know that anybody involved with the film was equipped to deal with it in a sensitive way at that time. I think this all goes back to Robert's writing of the movie. And basically, as he tells it, you know, he's just trying to tell a story he really wasn't thinking about transgender issues at the time. It was, how do I connect point A to point B to point C? Just tell the story. And one of the things that happened was, you know, you get to see things like um, Angela and her brother witness their father in bed with another man who was his boyfriend. And at that point in time, 
1982 and the movie was made you you didn't see things like that on on the big screen especially involving children seeing these sorts of things it, it's not anything having to do really with definitely not trying to make fun of the gay lifestyle or anything like that it was just um telling a story and and this is how it goes and the whole thing with uh, with transgender i think what happened was so at the end of the movie you learn that angela well who you thought was angela throughout the entire movie is actually peter the brother who survived the boating accident and you thought that it was angela who survived it when you learn at the end of the movie that the person that you thought was Angela through the entire movie is really Peter. That whole question of gender comes into play. At that point in time, it was just part of the story. Like, you know, how do I shock people and, and give them an ending that they're not expecting? But then as time moved on and we get into the sequels, you know, Sleepaway Camp Part 2, which came out in 1988, right off the bat, they say at the beginning of the movie that basically Peter has had a sex change, is now living as Angela. You know, so basically this whole transgender thing has happened. Peter has transitioned into becoming Angela. But in the first movie, there was no, you know, technical gender transitioning. It was all about abuse. You know, Aunt Martha wanted to have a little girl. So she kind of forced Peter into believing that he was supposed to be a girl. But Peter... Peter didn't want to be a girl and most likely wasn't thinking about it. So he was never, you know, technically transgender or anything like that at the time. That just became part of the legend, I guess, as, as the story went on into some of the sequels. Is that something you talk about in the book? Because I know even for me, just as a viewer, at first when I was younger, it didn't it didn't register for me in the same way that probably like if we look at Nightmare on Elm Street 2, didn't didn't register for me when I was younger necessarily watching it is that that became an issue. I agree with you. I think it was just kind of meant to be like shock value and in some ways subversively not really wanting to understand anything is just wanting to like, oh, here's how we push boundaries. You know what I mean? And I think later on, I, I kind of looked at it and had to, you know, decompress myself about it and what really how I felt about that ending and and what maybe implications are and what the intentions were. Did you ever have that kind of struggle for yourself with it uh, at that point in time? Or did you feel like, you know, you could compartmentalize what the intention was and how you felt at that point in time and now how you feel as, you know, an adult looking back at it? Yeah, I think you make a great point when you bring up Nightmare on Elm Street too, because just like you, as a kid watching that movie, I didn't pick up on any of these like gay undertone type things as an adult you, you see things in a different way and you see stuff that you didn't see when you were kids like you said you're kind of able to just like compartmentalize it a little bit and just put it in your mind is you know this is the way people maybe are thinking about it now but at the time when I first saw the movie this is how I saw it let's keep thinking about it that way how how it impacted me and how I felt about it and I think that if if pe most people do that, then they don't have to worry about getting too caught up in, well, it was, a, was it supposed to be this or was it supposed to be that? Um, it was definitely left open to interpretation. Uh, Robert likes to point out people can take it however they want. 
I, I think it it would be fantastic if it was something that that you know would have been uh, intentionally executed in a way that was able to be like to definitely walk around an issue like that, uh, which is sensitive, but it's it's tough in 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 the context of 1982 and the budget you're working with, like that's that's not really where it was trying to go. And I don't know. I mean, that's I don't know that that's for the better in any way whatsoever, but it is definitely a reflection of what the time is. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that, you know, somebody like Felissa goes out there and and owns it and also talks to people about it and also has uh, some interesting thoughts on on her own uh, connection to it and what she kind of feels like what the character of Angela should represent. So. I think in a lot of ways she has become a, a good, you know, person to be in front of this film and uh and to maybe decode it a little bit for some people who might see it a different way. But if they do, that's also up to them too, right? Um, right, right. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I want to tell you, I really appreciate your time here. I know uh, I kind of hit you with the the crazy hard questions there at the end there, but <laughs> I think it's it, I think it's something that that has to be looked at with this film because you were just hoping for shock value in 1983, and you know when we look at 2023, uh, we live in a very different age, and it's tough because a lot of people are trying to politicize this in ways where people are just being themselves, and I don't necessarily think that that is uh, an any fair. Uh, reason to start to accuse people of doing anything wrong, uh, particularly, unfortunately, in uh, the U.S., but also beyond that as well. So I think it's always good okay. to address that a bit. No, you know, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it's so true. Um, you know, today, everything is being politicized and it's it's getting crazy, maybe in a way that in some ways that's cool because people are still talking about sleepaway camp in so many different ways. And it just keeps the movie spreading around. But, you know, it's also kind of being unfair because, you know, at the time, this is how the movie was made. It was, hey, we want to do something bold and something unique. And and that's and that's what they did. And nobody at the time could have ever imagined that the movie would grow on to become what it is today. The fact that people are taking it in so many different directions, that's I guess that's fine, too. All right. Well, if you want to check out Sleepaway Camp, it is going to be part of Northwest Fear Fest on Friday, October 20th. Uh, that's going to be the 11 p.m. screaming screening. Let's see what I did there by accident. Screaming. <laughs> uh, I, that would make me look clever if I maybe did it on purpose, but I did not, Jeff. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Bays has been our guest today talking about the film Sleepaway Camp, but more importantly, also talking about his his life of living with it and the book that he has written called Sleepaway Camp, making the movie and reigniting the campfire. If you are lucky enough to make sure that you are at that screening, you will be able to purchase a copy of this book at that screening. And if you didn't and you're hearing this later, hey, do yourself a favor. Check it out online. I'm sure you can find it on several different websites where you can order up all kinds of books. Jeff, why don't you let the people know other ways that maybe they can connect with yourself or with the book itself and uh, and maybe if they become sleepaway camps from seeing it on that Friday night for the first time, how they can kind of, uh, you know, grow in fandom with you. Oh, definitely. Um you know, I still run the official website, sleepawaycampmovies.com, so fans can always reach out to me through there. I go back and forth with fans on email all the time. You know, they're still asking all sorts of questions about the movie, and 
I still answer them uh, to the best of my ability. I'm also on Facebook. A lot of fans like to connect with me on there. If people are still excited and want to talk about this movie, well, I'm excited for you. And, you know, I'm here. And if you want to chat, you know, send me a message. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Really appreciate you talking to us about the legendary Sleepaway Camp from 1983. Thank you.